could we turn to the prophecies of Isaiah Isaiah chapter 62 we're going to read a few verses from that chapter and then we will read from another part of Isaiah first of all Isaiah chapter 62 verses 1 and from verse 10 For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her righteousness go forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burneth Go through, go through the gate Repair ye the way of the people Cast up, cast up the highway Gather out the stones, lift up an ensign for the people. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the earth, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And thou shalt be called, sought out, a city, not forsaken. And then also in the prophecies of Isaiah and chapter 58, the 58th chapter of Isaiah from verse 1. I'm reading from the American Standard Version of 1901. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and declare unto my people their transgression, and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily, and delight to know my ways, as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near unto God. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find your own pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and contention, to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye fast not this day so as to make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I have chosen, the day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a rough? and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh, then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy healing shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord will answer. Thou shalt cry, and he will say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, 
the putting forth of the finger and speaking wickedly, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in darkness and thine obscurity be as the noonday, and the Lord will guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in dry places, and make strong thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy of the Lord honorable, and shalt honor it, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will make thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and I will feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Shall we pray? O oh, Father, we want to thank thee together that we are found here in thy presence, gathered in the name of thy Son, our Lord Jesus. And we thank thee once again, Father, that thou hast made provision for us. We would not be so foolish as to ignore that provision. We come to thee, O Lord, to avail ourselves of the provision thou hast made for speaking and for hearing, that we may meet with thee, O Lord, and that thou mightest do something in our lives and in our life together as thy people. O Lord, we thank thee for thy word, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We look to thee, Lord, wilt thou by thy Spirit release that kind of word that will get into our hearts? Wilt thou, Lord, keep at bay every single work of the enemy, whatever way he would seek to tamper with this time? Help us to attend to thee, to hear thy voice, and above all, give us that grace to be obedient to thee, O Lord. And we ask it all in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. In these are the times for which I have been responsible. We have been considering this whole matter of Zion. And we have now thought about the battle over Zion. And we have considered the building of Zion. And we have considered the travail for Zion. And really now we have gone a little bit too far to be able to go over any of that to, as it were, bring anyone who's not been with us up to date. But this matter of Zion is a tremendous matter. It's not just something that's an old-fashioned idea found in the Old Testament that sort of went out with the Old Covenant, but it is something which lies at the heart of all God's dealings with humanity. And we find in the Bible this word Zion used again and again and again and again. We're told that the Lord dwells in Zion, he loves Zion, he reigns from Zion, he saves Zion, he roars from Zion, he rules out of Zion, the rod of his strength goes out of Zion, there is the inhabitant of Zion, there is the daughter of Zion. Everything is somehow or other connected with Zion. And in the New Testament we have that wonderful word in Hebrews chapter 12, but ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now we have been considering this matter, this 
that lies so much on the heart of God. He says, for the Lord hath chosen Zion, he hath desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here will I dwell. I want this evening to talk a little bit about the work of Zion, the ministry of Zion. It is of tremendous importance that we should understand that this whole matter is not just a great ideal or a tremendous spiritual truth or some great aim or objective of God that somehow bears very little relationship to our life down here on earth. No, it has everything to do with our life down here on earth. It lies at the heart of our salvation. It lies at the very heart of our calling. It is that which God has in his mind in every single dealing that he has with us as individuals and with us as his people. Now, we read these wonderful words in Isaiah 62. Uh, the last time I spoke, we considered the travail for Zion. We talked about the determination of the Lord, and we talked about the fellowship of the Lord. I said it's all very well to talk about the building of Zion, but we need to know something of travail for Zion. And the only way Zion is going to be built is when there are sufficient numbers of believers with a spiritual capacity to travel for Zion that it might be built up and it might be completed. Now that is one of the great battles that is on at the present time. The Lord is seeking those in whom he can bring to birth travel. He can conceive something in our spirit that will issue in a ministry of intercession, of travel, that will result in the completion of Zion. Then we have these wonderful words, which are the challenge of the Lord. We shall come back to them on another occasion. But I want to touch on them this evening. Go through, go through the gates. Prepare ye the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway. Gather out the stones. Lift up an ensign for the peoples. Go through the gates. As if the Lord is saying to us, don't dither, don't dither, there is a work to be done. Don't just dither on the periphery of things, don't just stand on the circumference, don't just be a spectator, don't be just involved in a superficial and shallow manner, glorying in the truth, glorying in the ideal, glorying in the fact that Zion is something that God has in his heart, and never committing yourself to the whole matter. Go through the gates. Now whether it is go through the gates into the city, or whether it is go through the gates so that you may be part of this casting up a highway, it doesn't really matter, does it? The fact of the matter is this. Whether it means to get into the city and be built up in the city, be committed to the life of the city, to the government of the city, to the king who is, whom the Lord has set in Zion, or whether it is to go out under his government and by his power to cast up a highway for the people to prepare a way for others to come, it means we've got to commit ourselves. Surely, 
Going through the gate means, at last, we finally commit ourselves to Zion and to the work of Zion. No longer are we content to just stand on the periphery, on the circumference, circumference and just watch, just spectate, just be a little part of the blessings, come in for some of the advantages and glory. We will commit ourselves, lock, stock and barrel, to the battles of Zion, to the conflicts of Zion, to the sacrifice that is required in Zion, to the building of Zion, and to this work of Zion. Oh, this, I say, is something tremendous. I'll come back to that on another occasion. But that's one thing. And then we have this matter of preparing a way for the people. As you know, there is a way to be prepared. God! longs not only for his own blood-bought children, his redeemed children, his elect people, to come into Zion, to understand that a way has to be cast out, a way has to be prepared. Now, do you notice, this isn't the Lord saying, I will go through the gate. <laughs> the king is already in Zion. He's gone through. He is asking for us to commit ourselves to him. And he tells us, we are to prepare a way for the people. Now, one of the tragedies so often is that we are so superior. As soon as we begin to see Zion, we get very superior. We cut ourselves off from all the other believers. We look down our noses and say, they don't understand. They're divorced from Zion. They're blind to Zion. As if we are it and they are nothing. Are they not also the people of Zion? Are they not also born in Zion? Is not their birth registered in Zion? Then we must prepare a way for the people. And this means that there must be something so loving about us, so humble about us, so real about us, so attractive about us, that somehow we make a way for people to come. And what about the unsaved? Do we not live in a society which is an unsaved society, in which there is so much emptiness and so much unhappiness and so much corruption and so much despair? We need to prepare a way for the people. And then see what it says. Cast up. Cast up a highway. Have you ever seen a highway? Cast up. My word, it's a job. You have plenty of very good highways here in the United States. That's the one thing I remember. My first visit to the United States, one of the things that impressed me was the roads. Because <laughs> I come from a dear little old-fashioned island. Not as old-fashioned as some imagine. Sometimes some here ask me whether we have electricity. Um, I think they imagine I come by horse and cab to the meeting now and again. We're not as old-fashioned as that. We did build the Concord. Um, but, uh, you know, casting up a highway is no small thing. You need equipment to cast up a highway. And in stony, rocky country, there's a real job entailed in casting up a highway. And you see what it says. Not only is the highway to be cast up, carved out of the stony ground, but there is there are stones to be gathered out of the way. What does it mean? I don't know if you've ever seen one of these old roads. There are many of them in the Middle East. The old roads where the water, when the rainy season comes, has washed away the sand and the earth. And they're very hard places, especially if there's no light uh, at night. You can fall over rocks and stones and into holes and all. It's all kinds of things. Gathering out the stones. Don't you think there are a lot of stones to be gathered out? I do. 
There are so many stumblings amongst us. So many things that somehow or other we believers have created which have produced a stumbling block to men and women who would find the Lord. They trip over these things. They fall over these things. It's our job to gather out the stones. We're not to adjust to the stones. We're not to adjust to the rock, the, the stumbling, the uh, stones of offense. We, we are to remove them. Gather out the stones and then listen to this lovely word. Lift up an ensign for the peoples. Now, an ensign is a very interesting thing. Wherever the queen goes in my country, the ensign goes with her. It's on her car. Uh, it's even on her aeroplane um, when it lands uh, and uh, just before it takes off and then it's sort of taken in. But uh, um, I mean the ensign is always there when the Queen is there. Now in the old days, that's how any of you tourists, if you come to that's how you can tell whether the Queen's in residence at Buckingham Palace. You look up on the map, on the flagstaff and see if the ensign's there. If the ensign's there, the Queen's there. If the ensign's not there, she's not there. If you go to Windsor Castle, which is near to me, and you see the ensign there, you know she's in residence there. The Queen's actually at home. <laughs> the ensign's flying on the flag uh, uh, pole. It's an ensign. So in the old days, in battle and in war, a very honoured place. And um, in times past, my uh, forebears were uh, ensign bearers for one of the royal houses. Um, you had to bear the ensign for the King. And when in battle, if any group of soldiers or units got a little bit sort of uh, divorced from the rest of the army, they looked round to see where is the ensign, where is the ensign, because where the ensign is, there the king is. We fight our way back to the ensign. Lift up an ensign for the people. What, is it, what does it mean? Wave a flag in a kind of nationalistic way. No, no, no. It means let the whole world know where the king is. Let the whole world know where the king is. Lift up an ensign for the people so that all those in the world may know this is where the king is in Zion. This is where the king is doing his work. This is where there is royal authority. This is the throne of God. Because you see, when the king is on the battlefield, the throne goes with him. I don't mean they actually carry the throne with him. He leaves the throne back in the palace. But in as far as government goes, he may leave the throne back there, but the government goes with the king. In that sense, the throne goes with the king. Where the ensign is, there's where the throne is. Do you understand? So, here we have a tremendous challenge from the Lord. Go through the gate, commit yourself, don't give any anymore. Give yourself to this matter of Zion. Give yourself to the king of Zion. And then prepare a way for the people. Cast up the highway, gather out the stones, lift up an ensign for the people. Now what does all this really mean when it comes to it? You remember our Lord's great cry, For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until her righteousness go forth as brightness, and her salvation as a lamp that burneth. And then he says to us, I set watchmen upon my walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that are the Lord's remembrances, take no rest and give him no rest. Till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now when we come to Isaiah chapter 58, we turn back to that chapter. 
We have here something to do with this whole matter of this light shining. You see, if you look first, just wait, at Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 1, we read these wonderful words. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For the whole darkness shall cover the, pe the earth, and gross darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and nations shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Now in this chapter 58, we have an extraordinary prophecy from uh, through the lips of Isaiah. Because at first it seems almost amazing. Here are people praying. Here are people fasting. Here are people seeking the Lord daily. Here are people identified with the things of God. And yet the Lord says, this is not my fast. You are making an excuse of all this thing. You are not getting down to the real issue. And then he goes on to say, is not the path that I have chosen? And then he describes certain things. And as he describes certain things, he gives a promise. If you fulfill, fulfill this condition, then he says in verse 8, Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy healing shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Then shall thou call, and the Lord will answer. Thou shalt cry, and he will say, Here I am. Or again, in verse 10, then shall thy light rise in darkness, and thine obscurity be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought or dry places, and make strong thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. And in another marvelous promise, verse 14, Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. And I will make thee to ride upon the high places of the earth. And I will feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. Tremendous promises, all to do with Zion's righteousness going forth as brightness, and her salvation as a lamp that burneth. All to do with Zion being established in the earth, becoming a praise in the earth, so that men and women in need see in Zion the King, and taste the salvation of God through the King in Zion. Oh, dear, dear people of God, do you not mourn with me about our weakness and our poverty? And you know I am not talking about the large, large number of the Lord's people that are found in all kinds of circles and segments and sections, but I'm thinking of ourselves. I'm thinking of ourselves. Don't you mourn with me about our poverty and our weakness and our limitation? Don't you feel at times that somehow or other here we are, we are people who understand something about the purpose of the Lord? By the grace of God, 
God has revealed at least something to us of his purpose, something of the nature of his church, something about his Zion, and yet we meet together and we sing our hymns and we sing our little songs and we say our little prayers and somehow or other the world never feels the impact of our presence. Isn't this a cause for burden? Oh, but you say we're not large enough. Now I know, of course, it isn't just an American mentality, if you forgive me saying it, but it has to be large to succeed. We've got it on our side, too. You know the idea that unless you've got a few thousand people gathered again, you, you can't make an impact upon a community. How can you? A little handful... My dear friends, it says one shall chase a thousand, and a little one shall become a strong nation. God always begins with one. God always begins with a few weak people. There's no excuse. Once you have people in living union with the king on the throne, there must be an impact, surely. Surely. And I would say that this must give us some kind of concern. Are we just going to meet in our groups, in our companies, in our localities, and just deceive ourselves that because we understand a few more truths than some other believers, somehow or other it's happening amongst us? We need to let this whole matter of prayer get right into us. So that we begin to face realities about ourselves. And then we can get to the phone and say, Lord, we are a weak, insignificant, poor, weak people, but you have saved us and you have joined us to yourself. We long to see something happen. Is it possible, and I think I can say this without upsetting anybody, because I doubt very much that there are many of our companies where we are fasting weekly, or whether daily we are coming together for prayer, but the Lord says here, daily they seek me, and they fast. And they bow down before me. Now some of us are so inhibited we couldn't even do that. They bow down before me. Like a rush. But he says, I, I don't want it. I don't want it. Because they are missing the whole point. The path that I have chosen is fourfold. Now, we shall only be able, I think, tonight to, to look at two things. But it's fourfold. Here is the first thing that this chosen past is. It is the breaking of all oppression. Did you hear that? The breaking of all oppression. Here it is, verse 6. Is not this the past that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness? to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke. 
Now did you hear that? Here is his chosen path. It is the breaking of all oppression. Firstly, loosing bands, bonds of wickedness, undoing the bands of the yoke, letting the oppressed go free, and breaking every yoke. Now, this had particular reference in the time of Isaiah to the freeing of slaves who were Jewish. It was expressly forbidden that there should be Jewish slaves. If you turn to Jeremiah and chapter 34, and verse 8, we read these words. The word that came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, after that the king Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people that were at Jerusalem to proclaim liberty unto them, that every man should let his manservant and every man his maidservant, that is a Hebrew or Hebrewess, go free, that none should make bondmen of them to wit of a Jew his brother. In other words, this had reference first and primarily to those who were Jewish, who were belonging to the people of God, but who were slaves. Now if you turn again to Leviticus and chapter um, 25, you have the same thing again, so that you're quite clear as to what this bondage is all about. Leviticus 25 and verse 39, listen, and if thy brother be waxed poor with thee, and sell himself unto thee, thou shalt not make him to serve as a bondslave. As a hired servant and as a sojourner, he shall be with thee. He shall serve with thee unto the year of Jubilee, which is the fiftieth year. Then shall he go out from thee, he and his children with him, and shall return unto his own family, and unto the possession of his fathers shall he return. For they are my servants, whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt, they shall not be sold as bondmen. Thou shalt not rule over him with rigor, but shalt fear thy God. Now, my point is this. You see, when we look at this um, word um, in Isaiah 58, is not this the uh, past that I had chosen? Uh, to loose the bonds of wickedness. This word in Hebrew means just simply something that is bound or twisted powerfully around. Now don't you think that there are times when our meetings, our very gatherings together, have got something powerfully twisted around them? I do. We find it again and again at home in Richmond. We find that there are times when somehow or other the whole life of the church has got something that's been twisted around it. And the whole question is, are we going to accept it or not? Sometimes because we just don't know what to do or what action to take, we just accept it and then often they begin to invite him. What is responsible for this? So and so is responsible for this. So and so. This leader, that leader, or this circumstance, or that circumstance. We all start fighting with one another. It's nothing to do with personalities. The enemy has come and said, I will not let this work go another step. I will find it. And God in his wisdom says, yes, you may. You may. Because these are my children, and unless they learn to undo the bands of the yoke, and to loose the bonds of wickedness, and let the oppressed go free, and break every yoke, then I will let them suffer heaviness, and I will let them know bondage. 
You understand? If you want to put up with the Midianites and the Gergeshites and the Jebusites and the Hivites and all the other rites, God will let you. But be sure of this. They will not be in the land to serve you. You will serve them. Every single time the people of God forgot the word of the Lord to drive out the nations that were in the land before them and to leave not a single vestige of them in the land where they left them, the book of Judges tells us they became the means of oppression of the people of God. There is no neutral ground in this war with the powers of darkness. Dear friends, it is an honor to know the activity of the enemy. Did you hear that? It is an honor to know the activity of the enemy. Why? Because it means the king is present. That's why. It means that somehow or other there is something valuable in our gathering, something valuable in the testimony, something valuable in the lives of those who are in that company of believers that the enemy has said, I will not let this thing go another step. Now the Lord is not always going to spoon feed us. There has to come a time when we recognize that if we allow these things, these beings, to oppress us or to sit on us, or to hinder us, or to frustrate the purpose and design of the Lord amongst us, the Lord will allow him to have his way. For the Lord is a good father. He wants to train us. And if we have got to the stage where we don't want to use our muscles, he's not going to help those muscles to become permanently uh, weak. He will just allow us to suffer until finally we wake up in the name of the Lord. And then, like a Gideon coming amongst us, or even a Samson, or any of the others that rise up in the name of the Lord and say, we will not let this thing happen. The Lord is with us. Then, suddenly we find the Lord starts to work in a new and powerful way. Now, look again at this word. These bonds, these fetters, this word has also the idea of pang. And you know, fetters have got pangs. They begin as bonds and they end as pangs. Did you ever find that? When you've got a bondage in your life, it begins as a, as, as a limitation, but it ends in pain. And then again, look at this other, this yoke. Undo the bands of the yoke. Interestingly enough, the word here is not yoke, it's the bar of the yoke. That is the bar that goes across and yokes you to another. Now when you're yoked to another, you can do nothing about it. And you know, this is a very interesting thing. It means that somehow or other we can be yoked to the powers of darkness. That they can influence us by circumstances, by various people that they bring in amongst us that disrupt the whole life of the company. And somehow or other, because there's a bar that yokes us to them, when this other animal moves forward, we have to move with it. Undo the bands of the yoke. In other words, let the pole slip out. And we are free from that other influence altogether. We're not being dictated to by circumstances. We're not being dictated to by problems. We are not underneath, we are above. 
Or this word oppressed, let the oppressed go free. The word means shattered or crushed. You know there are many shattered and crushed people. They have been shattered by the work of the enemy, by background problems, things inherited, as well as by actual spiritual activity of the enemy. Let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. This is the heart of the matter. Do listen to me this evening. It is the heart. I know some will not accept for a moment that this is the heart of the matter. But dear friends, this is the heart of the matter. The whole enemy device is bondage. And just because you and I have been redeemed does not mean that we cannot again be entangled with the yoke of bondage. Look at the New Testament. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse verse, um, 15. For ye receive not the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but ye receive the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit of bondage again unto fear. Do you know that sometimes in a company we can get such a bondage that we are afraid of any new way the Lord might lead us? We become frightened to death of anything that God might do amongst us. Isn't that strange? You would think the believers would be only too ready to follow the Lord. We'd be only too ready to move with the Lord. If he's leading us forward, let us follow him. But we all know it. I know I've known it in my own life. A sudden fear. Oh, I feel insecure. I don't know. It is the enemy. Spirit of bondage again under fear. We have not received the spirit of bondage again under fear. But the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's the answer to a spirit of bondage. It's to be led by the Spirit of God. It is no the spirit of adoption, growing up as sons. Or again, look at Hebrews and chapter 2 and verse uh, 15. Very well known verse. Hebrews 2 verse 15. We'll read verse 14. Through death, that is Jesus, might bring to naught him, that is Satan, that had the power of, the de- or, or, of death, that is the devil, and might deliver all their through fear of death, and all their lifetime subject to bondage. Spiritual death, physical death, it doesn't matter. That's the weapon the enemy uses to bind men and women. Or again, look at Galatians. And chapter 5 and verse 1, For freedom did Christ set us free. Stand fast therefore, and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. Now, this bondage, the breaking of all this oppression, this bondage or oppression, covers all, whether the unsaved world or the people of God. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this. This word through the prophet Isaiah is to do with the whole principle of bondage. As a particularly, it affects the people of God. But dear one, I want to tell you something. 
Out in that great neighborhood all around us are thousands and thousands of God's people still bound by the enemy. Now I say God's people, they're not yet born again. But God could bring them. You remember how he once said in the book of Acts, there are yet many elect in this city and they weren't even saved. But God foreknew them. He knew who they were. They were all there, bound by Satan. And then came that liberating preaching of the gospel of God. And the power of God came in. And those who were bound by Satan, their shackles and fetters were broken. And they came out. They burned their books of witchcraft. And they had all those links with Satan snapped and broken in the waters of baptism. Praise God! Do you think that once we have escaped the bondage of the enemy, he will not try again to ensnare us? That he will not try by one means or another to sit on us, to once again encompass us, to twist powerfully around us bonds of wickedness? Now I hope it does not need to be said that sin will do this the most easily, the most easy way for this to happen is just by sin. In our midst, immorality, evil, dishonesty, all these things, I say can sin coming into our midst, of course it's in bondage, but dear friends, I want to say this, I hope that there is not that kind of sin amongst us. If there is, that would explain any heaviness or any oppression that we might find. But often it is not that at all. It is just simply that the enemy has said, I will not let this work go one step forward. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against world rulers of this darkness, against hosts of wicked spirits in the heavenly places. In other words, we're wrestling, not having a tennis championship. There are times when the enemy sits on top of us and we feel the whole weight of the powers of darkness sitting on... That's why I called it an honor. It means there is something worth contesting, something worth overcoming, something worth destroying. Praise God. Please turn your cassette over. And if the enemy has come out against it, we have sufficient grace in and through our Lord Jesus Christ to overcome him. For greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have no need to fear. But you see, our whole problem is that having become the Lord, we become passive. And you know, we come into a meeting and we feel this pall of heaviness hanging over us and we just sit under it and we sing a hymn half-heartedly and we go, I wonder what's wrong with me tonight. And then we look at some of the other dreary old faces and we think, oh dear. There's no one got any fervor, no one's got any, no one shakes themselves. There's a kind of dearth in the whole thing. Now, if we accept that, it is one band that's gone right round the whole work. And when we come together the next time, it is worse. And we think, oh dear, 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 we are, we are having a heavy time. And there's another twist gone right round. Another band gone round. You see, we are told here that we are to loose the bonds. Now, if God tells us to loose the bonds of wickedness, it means we can do it. God doesn't mock us. He doesn't say, this is the fast that I have chosen, that you loose the bonds of wickedness. 
What we need to do is to praise the Lord and to thank Him. There's no bondage here, Lord. Isn't it amazing? Sometimes when we feel most bound of all, we say, Lord, there's no bondage here. It's gone. It's gone. Because it's a very declaration of truth. I shattered the bondage. The whole thing is phantom. And it only needs the assertion and declaration of truth by the believers. That's why it's so good not to sing a hymn half-heartedly, but to sing it as a declaration of real worship. You see, when we worship the Lord, we assert things, we declare things. We don't say, maybe you're Lord. Maybe you reign on high. Perhaps you have the power in heaven and on earth. Possibly your will will come. On earth, as it has come in heaven? No. When we say, He is Lord, you know it's like a thrill that can run through a whole gathering. And if somehow the forces and powers of darkness stand back the moment there is this declaration of a fact. When we say, oh, we thank thee, Lord, we are thy free people, Satan has to say, it's truth. He can do no other. He knows that God has redeemed us. He knows we're named with the name of the King. So when the Lord says, this is the past that I have chosen, that you loose the bonds of wickedness, undo the bands of the yoke, let the oppressed go free, break every yoke, he means we have the ability, we have the equipment, and we have the authority in the name of the Lord Jesus to do it. Oh, friends, sometimes it happens so easily just by praying for one another, caring for one another, loving one another. You know, sometimes a person's in great need and a few words of prayer and something has disappeared. A shadow has gone that was on them. Haven't you all felt that? It's just that we wonder when it happens. Why didn't I share that before? Why didn't I come out into the open with that before? It just took a few words of prayer, my brothers and sisters, and the thing's gone. But you see, what we all do is, we all get so inhibited, we all sort of go more and more into our shell, and then we come and we all sit sort of isolated, if you know what I mean, and we sing our hymns in a half-hearted way because we feel isolated. Undo the bonds of wickedness. We are commanded to loose, to undo, to let go, to break. Oh dear, dear ones, listen to this matter. Our Lord is the one with the great ministry. In Isaiah chapter 61, what does it say? It says that he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them a garland for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Am I to believe all that just only happens at conversion? So the Lord does all this for us at conversion. And after that, no more. Of course not, you know as well as I do. The Lord comforts those that mourn. He gives the oil of joy for the for, for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. A garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So it means that the ministry of our risen king, of our ascended king, is that when I have a spirit of heaviness, he can say, look, give that to me. And I'll give you a garment of praise. 
It's all there for them. We're so stupid when we don't put it on. It's there for us. The king has... has... Sometimes we're in little dungeons, aren't we? Some of these dungeons are dungeons of our own making. Do you understand the word dungeon? Do you understand the word dungeon? Oh, yes, you had that word here. <laughs> well, I mean, American English is so poor. <laughs> I have to be careful these words I use. But a dungeon is a... If you've got a cellar in your house, a dungeon is a cellar a thousand times. You understand? Normally in a huge castle. And it was where people were left to lot. Now, many of us were in dungeons when we were saved. Oh, God took us out of the dungeon. But isn't it true that sometimes through us, our backsliding and our foolishness, we get back into them? Is there no ministry of the king in Zion for those who got back into dungeons? No ministry for those who once again have become captives. Those who've been blood bought by the Passover lamb and bought out of the house of bondage who again have fetters on their wrists and ankles so that they cannot praise the Lord because of chained wrists and cannot do the will of God because of, because of chained ankles. Oh, God help us. Do we really think that we are in some kind of fairy tale battle? That we talk about it? We preach about it? Now and again we even mention it in prayer. But in actual fact, it's not a real battle. My dear friends, far more real than the Second World War is this spiritual war that we as Zion are in. And the weapons in this war are as powerful spiritually as anything used in the Second World War to destroy things, to destroy life, to captivate and defeat and occupy. Wake up! We're in a battle! If you and I are in this matter of the building of Zion, then dear, dear ones, we've got to give ourselves to this battle of breaking all oppression. There are going to be casualties in this battle. Don't think that there will not be casualties. There will be casualties. And we must know what to do with the casualties. How to love them. How to nurse them. How to minister to them. How in the name of the Lord to bring healing to them. How to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Oh, don't you feel with me that this is a terrible lack amongst us, the people of God. Here we are, we sing the songs of Zion. We glory in Zion. But this is the ministry of Zion. You know, the enemy knows that it's either that Zion or his kingdom. Did you hear that? He knows that either Zion will be completed and it is his end, or he frustrates the whole work of God in Zion.
Therefore, he must bind us. He must oppress us. He must bring yokes of bondage amongst us. He must, in every way, in the atmosphere, in circumstances, in uh, believers, through compromise, through foolishness, through ignorance, through sin, he must somehow or other get in amongst the, the inhabitants of Zion, the daughter of Zion, and make her who is freed by the grace of God a slave. You know, dear friends, my time's really gone. <laughs> uh, you know, dear friends, sometimes I go into a place, I thank God that I don't go so much into these circles, but sometimes I'm asked, I can think of one work in the Arctic that I went to. In this work in the Arctic which had seen such a tremendous work of God done 25, 30 years ago amongst the laps. They had not seen a single one saved for about 12 years. And there I was asked to come into this school for lap people, young people. Every one of the staff was a believer. And they all said the same thing. Oh, we feel such a heaviness. We feel such an oppression. We feel such darkness. And do you know they never prayed together? Did you hear that? They never prayed together. I couldn't understand it. I said to them, but you're believers. Why don't you get together and pray? And they looked at me blankly. But they said, so, yes, they said, yes, we know. And the principal of the whole work said, yes, yes. And I besought him. I mean, he asked me, what would you do? And he gave example after example after example. He said, our very classes now are being infiltrated by Marxists. We are having things done in our classes with our teachers. And I besought him. I said, please, brother, bring together the staff and spend the night in prayer. Get, well, he said, I don't know whether we could sustain. Well, start. Get on your knees and really take hold of the Lord. And he said, maybe, maybe we'll do this. I don't know if the others will agree. Now, I knew because I'd spoken with some of the others, most of the influential members of the staff, and they said to me, yes, yes, we think this would be good. I don't know whether the others will agree. And when I went back a year later, they had still not had a prayer time together. <clears throat> and then I thought, what is wrong with these people? They are born again believers. They know the law. They love the law. And here they are, sacrificing in many ways to be right up here in Finnmark, in the Arctic, where they could be having such a nice time down south, in one of the big cities. And then I realized it. It was bondage. They knew what they should do, but they couldn't. They were so inhibited, they couldn't get on their knees before one another. Now that's how far it goes. Once bondage begins, it's not static, it goes on and on and on. You know, sometimes we can't lift our hands in praise. Some of us can't open our lips in praise. We feel afraid of one another, afraid we're inhibited. We, we feel, oh dear, oh. It's bondage. 
Now we all see it in the school up there in Finnmark, but do we recognize sometimes the same uh, uh, sort of elements? Perhaps not in so powerful a way, but it would lead to that. It would lead it unless we learn to tackle this whole matter of oppression and bondage. You see, we're in a tremendous fight. Do you think that up there the enemy does not know that if those dear ones got on their knees, something could happen in that staff which would be a, a renewing and a quickening and an awakening that could spread like a fire through the Arctic? It's the same with us here in our different localities and communities. God, God wants, longs that the Zion's righteousness shall go forth as brightness and in her salvation as a lamp that burneth. The enemy knows that. He has said, no, it will not. I will sit on them. I will make them fearful of one another. It is a very strange thing I remember years ago at home. You know, we all wanted to pray together, you see. Now, when I say pray together, I mean, you see, now sometimes so many people wanted to take part. But we found people were colliding with one another, you know, two or three people trying to get in at once. And then we had the long-winded ones amongst us. You know, they sort of hogged the whole time, and uh, the others can't get in hardly. And, and I used to think to myself, God sorts all this out. How it came to me was I thought, you know, there's another company about... Uh, ten miles from here, and, and, and they're praying, and God listens to every one of their prayers at the same time as listening to ours. And then I thought, why, there must be thousands and thousands and thousands of people all praising the Lord all over the globe, and He hears everyone. And I thought, wouldn't it be good now and again if we all praise the Lord together? And I thought, oh, no, I didn't mention that. Now, I'm supposed to be one of the leaders, but I was so afraid. I thought, they, the other brothers, will look at me and think, what's gone wrong with him? <laughs> Is he going Pentecostal? <laughs> so I thought, no, I won't say anything, I won't say anything. And I didn't. And every time this happened, I used to feel such a heaviness in my heart. I thought, oh, I don't really... And then I thought, I wish I could say it, and then I thought, no. In the end, one of the brothers, the, uh, one of the weaker and younger brothers, brought it up in the time of finishing it. Wouldn't it be good when we had two or three people colliding together if we didn't all just praise the Lord together for a few moments? And I thought, oh, he said it. <laughs> and I didn't dare look at my brothers. And then I heard one of the other people say, what a wonderful idea. I've been wishing we could do that for ages. And I looked at him, <laughs> and I thought, well, I, I thought he was rather stuffy. <laughs> I thought he would be the first one to sit on it. And I said to him, well, that's funny, I felt that, but no, he said, I thought you would hate it. <laughs> and then we found that the four five of us, we all had the same thing. He was all being afraid of one another. Isn't that silly? We have fought together, battled together, prayed together, travailed together literally over things, and yet still there was a kind of bondage that comes in and inhibits us so that we feel so-and-so wouldn't like this, so-and-so wouldn't like this, so-and-so wouldn't go this way, so-and-so, and we're all inhibited. And then with the Lord says, go this way, you say, no, no, no. <laughs> it's so silly, isn't it? And when we go this way, it's such joy. 
I don't mean just going that way. I mean, that was just something for us. It's not necessarily for you. But I mean, the thing is, when the Lord wants to lead us in some new way, which is going to bring new life, new vitality, a new expression, it's so lovely just to do the will of God. Instead of feeling somehow inhibited and bound. Now, you see, our time has gone so much, and I did so want to take this other matter. Can I just very briefly underline it? This matter in verse 7 here of... Uh, uh, 58, is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? I call this, here is the second great thing. If we have got to deal with this whole matter of oppression and bondage in the atmosphere, as well as in conditions facing us as companies of the Lord's children, as well as in individual lives amongst us, this next matter is what I call love and compassion in all relationships. Oh, beloved brothers and sisters, hear me on this thing. Our greatest tendency is to become a bit of spiritual machinery. We only have to get hold of a truth. And somehow or other, before long, instead of being liberated by it, we systematize it. Now don't think that doesn't happen to us. We say, no, but we believe in the organic. We don't believe in systems. But you know, we can still become spiritual machinery. Listen to this word, deal thy bread to the hungry. Have you noticed now it's become more personal? Thy bread. Thy bread. Bring, it says, uh, deal thy bread to the hungry. Bring the poor that are cast out to thy house. When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him. And that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Don't think that it's something in others. It's something in you. It's something in me that God wants. We're all waiting for others to care for the needy. God says, deal thy bread to the hungry. Don't care about your brother, your sister. It's your bread. Have you got bread? Deal it. Share it. Have you got a house? Bring the poor into your house. Be afflicted, be lonely. Are you clothed? Cover someone who's naked. Have you got those that are your kith and kin? Don't ignore them. I feel sometimes, brothers and sisters, that church truth, hear me, Church truth for which, by the grace of God alone, I have given quite a little portion of my life, can become a cold, hard, mechanical thing. There is no such thing as church truth without love. There is no such thing as a revelation of the body of Christ without compassion. If the one 
who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is in me, and I am in him. Is it possible that there are hungry that I care not for? And lonely and destitute and afflicted that I never bring into my house? Is it possible that there could be someone naked and I never cover them? Is it possible that I hide myself from my own relatives under the guise of serving the Lord? I say, it is Korban, devoted to the Lord. Well, as the word of God said, he that does not care for his own household is worse than an unbeliever. Now, dear friends, it's not only on the physical side, and there is need, is there not, even here? You know, in our highly urbanized society, there are lots of destitute, lonely, afflicted people. Some of them are wealthy people. But they're still poor. They're destitute, they're lonely, they're empty, they're aimless. No one cares. No one bothers. We're so concerned about church truth sometimes, we don't even live. This whole matter of Zion is something to do with those who are hungry and those who are destitute, those who are afflicted, those who are lonely, those who are naked. I wish I could give you a lot of scriptures on this whole thing. But let me just say this. That there is a spiritual side to it too. Has God given you any revelation of himself? Do you share it? Or do you use the revelation that's come to you to condemn your brothers and sisters? Huh. Southern Baptist. <laughs> Fundamentalist. Methodist. <laughs> they died about 50 years ago. <laughs> Only God could uh, show a few things to them. You see, it's so easy to become exclusive. Now, some of you, dear brothers and sisters, have suffered in some things that began with God and have become a denomination. We say it with grief in our hearts. With all the church truth in the world, it has become something cold, metallic, hard. Truth used to judge others, condemn others. Instead of seeing that if you are an overcomer, and I'd like to meet you if you are, I pray that I might be. If you are an overcomer, you're as dear Brother Sparks used to say, in the advance working party. You're in the working party that's gone ahead to clean the whole place up and do all the dirty work and all the hard work and everything else so that the rest can come in and enjoy themselves. 
I say that's worth being an overcomer for, don't you think? <sighs> that takes all this elite superiority out of it and makes it what it really is, a matter of service. We lay down our lives that our brothers and sisters may come in. Share thy bread. That you bring the poor that are needy or destitute cast out to thy house. That you cover the one that's naked. Do you do that? Do you find someone who's fallen into sin, someone who's fallen into problem or difficulty? Do you cover them? Or do you simply accuse them? Oh, I've seen this in the house of God again and again. Someone's fallen, and before long people are on the phone all over the place. Have you heard? Have you heard? So-and-so's fallen into sin. And they give all the gory details. Love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't condone sin, but it never rejoices in sin. To cover. To know how to restore someone who's fallen in a spirit of gentleness. Firmness, truth, but gentleness. Only God can help us. Do you hide from your own flesh? You know, there's a most wonderful little word in Deuteronomy. I just have to give this to you. Deuteronomy and 22. Because it, it's, oh, it's marvelous, really. Thou shalt not see thy brother's ox or his sheep go astray and hide thyself from them. Thou shalt surely bring them again unto thy brother. And if thy brother be not nigh unto thee, or if thou know him not, then thou shalt bring it home to thy house, it shall be with thee, until thy brother seek after it, and thou shalt restore it to him. And so shalt thou do with his ass, so shalt thou do with his garment, so shalt thou do with every lost thing of thy brothers which he hath lost, and thou hast found. Thou mayest not hide thyself. Thou shalt not see thy brother's ass or his ox fallen down by the way, and hide thyself from them. Thou shalt surely help him to lift them up again. Hide not thyself from thine own flesh. You know, I know some Christians who use the house of God and the whole matter of Zion as an excuse for not taking any responsibility for their families. That is not right. We cannot hide ourselves from our own flesh. May God help us in this matter. Because you see, we have the most glorious promise here. It says, Then shall thy light break forth as the dawn. Don't you want that? I do. Then shall thy light break forth as the dawn, it says, and um, thy healing shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Thou shalt call, the Lord will answer. Thou shalt cry, and he will say, Here I am. May God help us in this matter. It's not an easy message to have brought. But you see, it's to do with the work of Zion. You see, we can get marvelous ideas about the ministry of Zion that are all sort of, you know, when, when the Lord says, Just wait. I want watchmen on the walls. I want a ministry of intercession and prayer. But there must also be this 
breaking of all oppression, and this love and compassion in all relationships. Has God spoken to you? Let's ask him just to watch over this word and make it flesh and blood. Dear Lord, I, there can be few of us, Lord, that in one way or another do not fall short when it comes to some of these things we've been talking about this evening. Oh Lord, forgive us and cleanse us, Lord, we pray, and give us true godly sorrow that leads to that true repentance to deliverance and salvation. Lord, help those of us who are responsible in my work about this whole matter of oppression and bondage. Lord, come upon us, we pray, by thy Spirit. Release thy Spirit within us in new and deeper ways. So that, Lord, these things that so often sit on our life together as thy people may be broken in the name of the Lord. In our prayer times, Lord, give us grace to face these things, to name them, and to break them in prayer through the finished work of the Lamb and in the name of our Lord Jesus. Father, help us in this. And Lord, when it comes to love, well now, Lord, we all come short in this matter. We need that love of thine to be shed abroad in our hearts. We don't want to bite and devour one another. We want rather to obey the royal law. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Lord, help us. There are hungry and destitute, poor, afflicted, naked, if not physically, spiritually, all around. Help us, O Lord, we pray. We want Zion's bright righteousness to go forth as brightness. And her salvation is a lamp that burneth. We want thee to establish time and to make her a praise in the earth. Lord, help us in this matter. Watch over thy word to perform it. Blot out anything that has been said that was untoward. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.